We have to upskill or we have to new skill our employees. We don't really look at high school education as that source. We might not even be looking at universities and colleges for that source of, of learning and that whole lifelong learning um, thing that I think uh, the best employees, right? Like your, your game changers, your uh, audacious uh, disruptors, they have that thirst to learn always. And, and what were we doing in education to inspire that? Welcome to this week's Change Agent Podcast. My name is Nathan Lesnowski. I'll be your host for today. I'm the Chief Technology Officer of Concurrency. We are super interested in this conversation today. On the Change Agent Podcast, we talk about topics that range from transformation of technology in education to transformation of technology in the manufacturing and financial services spaces. We talk about organizations that are changing the way they engage their customers, partners, and employees. And in particular, we talk about people that are making bold moves, people that are thinking about big problems. They're not afraid to address those big problems. They're not afraid to think about those problems in ways that others haven't. And today we have a person who has that exact mindset. Uh, please welcome a good friend of mine, Mr. Bob Hall. Bob Hi, is- Hi, Nate. Hi, Bob. Bob is the executive director of Launch. Uh, so, Bob, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about you know, what, what it means to be the executive director of Launch, what it means to kind of be a change agent in this particular space. Yeah, so thanks, Nate, and appreciate uh, the ability to have this conversation. Um, for me, just I spent 28 of my professional years in education. And so for me, it's been just a journey going from a, a very traditional educator role um, to another one, to another one, to another one, um, until I um, uh, was offered the position to, to work and develop this idea and take my background, which is of education, and try to reimagine it, uh, which I think is is the key part to is a one of key part one of the key parts to transformation is to really have that time to reflect and reimagine something, um, especially something that's been embedded in education for a long time. And that would be kind of this idea of compliance-based education and, and um, getting, how do, we, how do we instill some creativity, some innovation, some student-led empowerment of their ideas? How do we put that together so that it can make a, a regional impact uh, where people want um, want our students to stay in this region, uh, pursue jobs in our region. So really just spent, you know, the last five years, I can't believe it's even been that, that five long, years. but developing this idea and um, taking juniors and seniors in high school and uh, letting them lead, uh, which can be scary, um, letting them become uh, more purposeful in their in their career paths and their career journeys, um, which which for me has been one of the most rewarding experiences in my life. So, one of the things that got me really excited when we first started talking 
and has gotten me even more interested in what you're doing is how you're stepping out behind, in front of this sort of traditional education apparatus. You know, the failures of traditional education to be able to adequately prepare students for the workforce and how in many cases that just kind of keeps going, keeps going with the same problems year over year. Not saying that people aren't getting some level of benefit from it, but it's not just getting them to the point where they really need to be. And you're talking about how you can change that whole ecosystem around education or at least extend it with capability-based education. So can you talk can you talk about what that is and how it contrasts with what the existing education system is doing? Yeah, that's really good. I think what what first comes to mind when you were starting to talk about kind of the traditional model is you know that forces of change. What what what's like uh, burning down on there is usually maybe state mandates or um, um, teacher preferences. Maybe it's even just uh, societal um, thoughts about what what education is supposed to be. And sometimes you forget uh, the end user. Sometimes you forget. Um, or what happens to the transformation when you alter the source of that transformation, which I would say for us, it's been inspirational is, is really thinking about students and what they are feeling and what they're, how they're progressing through this competency-based um, program. And so really listening intentively to students because the students that we have um, have really been the sources of that transformation. They want or they need authentic challenges. They don't want the traditional kind of uh, problem in the book that maybe has an answer that is in the back of the book and I can flip my pages through and just get that answer and figure it out that way versus how does this problem or project impact someone. So just listening to to a, a whole new source of information, which to us is the consumer, which is the student on one hand. And then the other thing that I think is very different than the traditional way is our is our business and industry leaders and partners. They are providing sources of new learning for our entire system, whether that's content, uh, whether that's the project itself, but they are making it real, which I think when you alter those sources, you get a different result. Um, and I'm sure that that could probably be for really any industry. If, if you just listen to the same source over and over again, you, you may not even know that there's a need to change, or you may not even understand different ways to change. And so for us, just that ability to kind of disrupt sources of information for us mm -hmm. was was extremely critical in, in our effort. Now, the core difference is that you're providing them with experiences, right? They're, a student comes in and they're not just learning something in a textbook or demoing it in a lab. They're working with a real business on a real problem in a domain that they're interested in, right? Yeah. And, and in fact, you know, if you really go back in the 
you know, I'm kind of a geek this way, is go back in the history of education. I mean, experiential learning has been um, an aspect of education for a long time. I mean, you think about um, apprenticeships, you think about internships, you think about a variety of different experiential opportunities that kids have that they learn from every, you know, but I would say this though, in a lot of those situations, it was always an elective or an added on experience to the education. And so we really thought hard about how can we build this within our core, our academic core requirements to really kind of make this a source for, for all students and, and give access to all students that want experiential learning versus sometimes I think what happened in the traditional model, it would be um, kind of an, an elective area or something that would be added into a, a student's schedule that they could quote unquote fit it in. We found a way to get English competencies in these projects that you're talking about. So it really is, as an example, it could be math competencies, uh, computer science competencies, but we've really found the bridge to be, like you said, the business driving the project and then educators learning how to facilitate and learn about how that reaches the standards that, that kids need when they leave high school. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you approached this problem, what was the inspiration? You know, what, what, you've been in education for a long time, Bob, like you've, you've been in many different places and what was the inspiration to be able to say, yes, this is something not only is necessary, but this is something I'm going to spearhead and I'm going to drive and see the outcomes from. Yeah, I think it, um, first I have to give credit to the superintendent in Elmbrook. Um, you know, he was probably one of the most inspirational people in terms of, um, I guess you'd say wanting me to flatten school district boundaries, wanting me to kind of wreck compliance-based education and get more into student empowerment. So really, I I have to give a lot of credit to him to really kind of allow me the freedom then, based on my experiences, to to really kind of understand it even more. So as an educator, whether it was in a K-8 building as a principal or a high school principal, I always saw as you got closer to the end of the experience, our cultures would always grant you permission to ramp down. Mm-hmm. So if you were a senior in high school that worked really hard for three and a half years, graduated. we kind of said, yeah, we kind of, yeah, exactly. We kind of said, you know what? You've worked really hard. You know, you got senior skip day, you got a brewer game, you got, and so really kind of, it really cued to me that students, they, they didn't understand the value of what they were getting. And quite honestly, it might have been detached from a big source of meaning for them. And and that actually happened in eighth grade, too. I remember being an eighth grade principal and the number of misbehaviors starting in like March of that eighth grade year of kids saying, well, I'm going to be moving on to high school. Anyhow, it doesn't matter how I do. And I'm like, you're missing the whole point of learning and growing. And mm-hmm. and so That's what kind of really drove for me personally from that educator perspective. That was really big. And then the other thing was um, it was employers. It was employers saying, um, when we have to reskill, when we have to upskill, or we have to new skill our 
employees, we don't really look at high school education as that source. We might not even be looking at universities and colleges for that source of, of learning and that whole lifelong learning um, thing that I think uh, the best employees, right? Like your, your game changers, your yep. um, audacious uh, disruptors, they have that thirst to learn always. And, and what were we doing in education to inspire that? If you get to the close of the journey and you say, oh, I'm done learning. You know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's not even solved in the college experience. You know, it went, and it, it, the first thing that we look for at concurrency when we're hiring and potential applicants coming out of college, please take note, is how many, how many internships have you had where you've done meaningful work in this domain? that then informs your, your experience that allows you to be able to work full-time in an organization like us. And it's really great that you got a, a 3.8 grade point average in your college classes, but tell me what you did for real that prepared you to be able to do the work at our organization. And you're talking about bringing that even further downstream, not even talking about, you're doing it, exactly. where you're bringing it downstream into the high school experience. Right. And if you think about, which I'm sure you guys are the, you, you guys are the experts on this at concurrency in terms of the rate of change, the exponential growth, just with technology and how that's impacting the world, whether it was in manufacturing or, or whatever, um, the, the impact of technology on this is, is just, like I said, exponential growth how do we keep up from a learning and education framework? Mm -hmm. And how do we then teach our students, teach our um, college students, for example, how fast the learning pace comes? And how do we teach people to leverage technology now um, in this time um, to help students learn faster, quicker, more efficient, and then also build in the experiential pieces. Mm -hmm. So for example, the teacher in our program is no longer um, the content expert. Teacher has to be knowledgeable of the fantastic digital content that is out there. And can they facilitate that learning with students? Hmm. And can they match those student experiences so that that content is meaningful? Example would be a student who is only a junior in high school, is working on a sales um, process for a local manufacturer. The manufacturer um, had this student learn Power BI. Student did a 30-day free trial, learns Power BI and takes this data and creates a new system for this manufacturer. You, that, that's what I'm saying about real-time content, yep. how the experience drives new learning. And now the student has this belief that give them any challenge, they're going to have to learn, maybe unlearn, maybe relearn some skills. And, and that process, hopefully, knock on wood, lasts a lifetime. So when you think about the relationship between 
experience-based learning or competency-based learning, especially the things that you're doing. Like I learned Power BI, I can do something with it. I learned how to build a custom app in Azure Logic Apps. I created a marketing campaign for a, uh, a retail, uh, outdoor retail location. You know, th these things that you're doing that are very competency-based. Yep. And then the, the potential pushback from a, from a teacher who is engaged perhaps in another type of domain like literature, where it's about the why, right? You don't read a book necessarily just to learn how to turn a screw. You learn whether or not you should turn the screw and why we turn the screw. And, and is this something that we should even be doing? All these questions about humanity and who we are and why we pursue things. What is, how does that relate into competency and experiential-based learning? Is that something that makes its way into that zone? Is it something that stays in the classical model and just partners with it? You know, tell me about like, is that a tension or is it actually artificial tension? This isn't even a problem. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, Nate, you know, to kind of go to our earlier conversation. This is it's one of the questions I struggle with probably in my, uh, ever since I became a principal um, at a Catholic high school and then a, um, in, a, in a public high school as well. Um, I think it's a lot like what we would say about good cooks making dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think experiential learning works best when I'll call it the classical education or, or like those works of literature that you're talking about, um, complement each other. I don't think we live in an age where it's one or the other. Mm. Um, I do think there's a tremendous amount to learn from. I mean, there's great stories or great um, data that would show the impact of high levels of literature from classical sources, which is going to allow you to learn um, faster or allow you to process things differently. So I don't, I, I, I would not say launch is ever going to be eight hours of experiential learning only. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it's, and that's kind of how it's been created is, it is definitely a value add, and, and I think it, it needs to work with um, that, what I'll call the traditional model. Um, if students don't see the why behind their work, um, they struggle with it, especially during their teenage years. Yep. If students don't have a good foundational base of, of their academics, I, I, it may not be as easy to learn those tools and that technology that you were you were mentioning, mm -hmm. and it's or like, even being just reflective to be a good employee, right? Like I may have the skills um, to be a really great employee at concurrency, but there's a whole other aspect of the kind of employee that you're looking for too. Yeah, when people right now ask me to look back at my college education. And to provide me and ask, like, what, what was valuable about that that set you up for concurrency? I usually tell them that the thing that it provided me most was how to be an excellent writer and how to read, comprehend, have an opinion, be able to state an opinion. It didn't prepare me as adequately for the experiential aspects of the job. And if not for internships and experiential learning I did on my own, I wouldn't have had that and wouldn't have been prepared. 
And you're programmatizing that. You're like, you're making it a lot like, hey, this is something you can just kind of do on the side. Hopefully you do an internship at some point. You're making this part of the educational experience. And that's what's so inspiring to me is you're kind of combining those two things. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, right, and, and Nate, that's, that's uh, I'm right in line with you. I think kids are leaving colleges and universities um, with some very good tools, but they're also leaving colleges and universities without some really kind of what I would say basic information about what they're going to actually do. Like if you walk in and talk to some sophomore students looking to major in engineering, they may not have ever heard of software engineering, design engineering, mechanical, you know, they may not even. So, I mean, it, it's definitely an and to that work. It's not. And I, I think sometimes we've we've kind of created these systems where it's this or that and not really trying to find where those those things happen, which I think is a lot of reasons why kids go back to school after they've started working. Mm -hmm. Um, because they realize, Oop, what am I going to do with uh, this knowledge that I have? What was the biggest challenge in getting this off the ground? I mean, you had to start from somewhere and you had some good support from the school district. You know, what were the blockers that you had to clear just to get going that first year? You know, I'm going to try to make it simple, uh, but it was actually complex. And it really came down to language. And I know that sounds really simple. I don't know if this pertains to, you know, the world outside of education uh, when dealing with um, your employees or with your consumers, but it was, it, it, it was 100% about language, getting people to understand what, why, and how launch was going to change your life. That was not easy to do because people had a conventional thought about um, the traditional way of programming. And so really to kind of battle through whether it was talking with teachers and dealing with uncertainty, dealing with stress, anxiety that comes from not having clear language mm -hmm. about the transformation especially as big of a transformation as it's going to be, it really came down to language, and it still does. I, I think we still um, try to drive through language this notion of, of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to build in students. Um, I definitely think the, the primary accelerator to our program was student interest. I mean, when first year when there's 70 students that want it, and then the next year there's 150, mm -hmm. and then the next year there's 325, and then you, you add in another whole school district into the operation all within four years, I, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to press the system to say, all right, how do we find the teachers? How do we find the business partners? How do we find – so, I mean – Definitely the accelerator was students, which which was totally cool. And it's probably the first time in my life where students drove the speed of change. Mm -hmm. So were there individuals that were, I don't want to say naysayers, you know, were there, this isn't going to work. This isn't the right way to do it. This isn't 
the way we've done it before. Here's the way we do it here. You know, have these blockers come up as you were doing it. And how did you clear those blockers? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, we had them all. And I would probably say um, it took an incredible, you know, the, the thing about um, the Elmbrook School District that we started this in is I do believe the top one to 5% of employees search for these kind of opportunities. I mean, I, I just believe in my heart and I've seen it with my eyes where those dangerously ambitious employees that you have are looking for a reason to get out in front. Mm -hmm. And it was leveraging them, that top one to 5%, to really help create it. So yeah, we might've had this idea and a a vision of what we were gonna see and we had some, some models out there to maybe refer to, but really when it got to the time of implementing and the strength of that implementation and really the driving force of that transformation was that top one to 5% of teachers who have to roll up their sleeves every day to um, make it happen. And, and, and so, yeah, we, we had exactly, I mean, you, you did a nice job of articulating all of the blockers that came in the way. Cause I'll never forget one of, uh, one of our current teachers been there for ever since I was hired. She said in her first year, she walked into the copying room and one of the teachers said to her, so is this launch thing really going to work? And that's, what's been kind of cool about our growth is as you grow, instead of having three teachers, now we've got 20 and pretty soon we'll have 30 next year. And the next thing you know, that's true transformation, right? Where I, I hope some of our 30 teachers would say, well, why are you doing what you're doing <laughs> currently? You know what I mean? Um, so it's just kind of interesting to watch that change occur. Um, but ultimately, um, the, the removal of the blockers came down to students. It came down to our teachers um, that top one, five percent. And I would say the industry partners that trusted us, trusted our students to deliver. Um, Because the number of industry partners involved in launch, number of people um, is just incredible. Um, and, And they really are, you know, the community is the driving force behind what we're doing. How do you see this engagement changing over the next several years. You know, you're at 350 students now. Mm-hmm. Those students have gone through already a change probably in the last six months with remote engagement and what that's done to this whole ecosystem. And then your engagement now broadening. I know you're talking about other CAP schools that are getting involved in other locations. Yep. Tell me a little bit about what that expansion of the program looks like for you. Yeah, that's been my my biggest learning so far is, um, all right, so now how do we go back in time? So this took us five years to get to where we are. 
And we want partnerships. We know that diversity, equity, inclusion is probably one of the biggest topics right now in our region, mm-hmm. which if you if you are a believer in that, then again, transformational of the end of high school experience has to be somewhere in that priority. And so how do we then take our program and scale it to other places that may not have that experience, may not have the language behind it? And so we're currently trying to think of, all right, what are one, three, five-day experiences of launch that can just help go back and try to teach someone else even what this is? Mm -hmm. And kind of going back, I would say that's been kind of the interesting um, learning that we're having is um, how do we, again, how do we help demystify it, clarify some assumptions that people have, and instill confidence that they can do it, give them hope that, because I think sometimes people may say, well, you've been doing it for five years. We can't do that. Well, mm-hmm. yes, the you same can. excuses, right? Yeah. And, and so how do we instill some hope in someone and, you know, clarify some of the fogginess that goes on and, and really kind of also on our part, think back and say, gosh, if we had to do this all over again, Here's maybe how we would start. Here's how we would approach it differently. So really just kind of having that mindset of, of change um, as we scale, that, that's, that's my personal mission is to bring experiential learning to all kids through a region that um, maybe wouldn't have this kind of access. All right, last question, Bob. You already Fire. And, and you already kind of came out ahead of this one, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to name another person. So you mentioned how uh, the uh, person in charge of the Elmbrook School District uh, was a huge inspiration to you. Who is someone or some multiple people who has been an inspiration to you to be able to do the kinds of things that you're doing, to be able to take the kind of action and and engage in the transformation that you've been driving? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would, that, that was, that's actually an easy one. And if I can keep it together without getting too emotional, I'm going to try because, um, I hope everyone at some point in their life can be touched by a mentor. And, um, my mentor is a gentleman. His name is Leon Jansen. Um, I met him when I was the principal at Catholic Memorial. He was on the board there and, um, Probably one of the coolest experiences I had was when when he would just, he'd be there. He'd be present if I had a phone call. Or he'd be present if I sent him an email at 11 o'clock at night. He'd respond by the morning. And um, I mean, he literally, and I don't even know if he really realizes this, but he opened my eyes to the world of business and education. So when I went through my journey, it was pretty much learning just a lot of theories and um, ways to do education from educators, which is great. I mean, I, I don't have anything against that, but having a mentor that could teach me almost like the fundamentals of business and the fundamentals of innovation, the fundamentals of building and planning a vision, um, without a doubt, he he was probably the most instrumental person in my life, really. I, I, 
I, when I first took this job, um, he was someone I leaned on a lot and probably like every good mentor or every good coach, they start to ease that up, up a little bit, the more that you're around them. And, um, he's someone I will never, ever forget. And, um, yeah, he's, he's been in my life since he's, um, without a doubt, he's someone that he's understanding. So he's been through changes. He's, he's now retired from, from an organization they worked at for a long time. So he's just been that, that calmness that I need, believe it or not, Nate, <laughs> me needing calmness, but he's been that sense of calm. And the, the neat thing about the right kind of mentor, um, they get it. They just get it. Like, um, hopefully I can, I can pay that back someday. Hopefully I can be someone's mentor where, um, I can look at them. Like when you started listing off the blockers and the movers, you've probably encountered that. And to give that back to someone so that they can have that hope to keep moving, I think that's the most important thing I ever experienced. So without a doubt, Leon is that is that person to me. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Bob. You bet. And especially thanks for taking time with us today. You have such a great insight and you've really done something transformational. You should feel really proud of the, the outcomes that have been driven with the kids and the way they are so much better prepared for engagement within the business community and just setting up their lives on the right, on the right starting point. So way to go in doing that. Uh-huh. And as also kudos to your teachers that have been engaged along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Without them, it could not happen. Could not happen. But thank you, Nate. All right. Well, thank you to, uh, for, to Dr. Bob Hall. And also thank you to our, uh, our listening audience. We are so glad to be doing this podcast and we will see you next episode where we talk about other change agents that are transforming their community and their businesses with technology. 